Good morning again, Dower the Baptist family. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here with you guys preaching God's word to you. Again, I want to say please be praying for Brother Rick and Brother Tommy as they're under quarantine uh, for being exposed yesterday to COVID. They're fine, but just keep them in your prayers. Um, today, uh, we are going to be going over a text that I use with our student ministry. Currently with our students, we are going through a series called Pressing On, a study of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, it's a letter of encouragement focused on helping the Philippian church uh, to press on, to continue and strive in the faith, uh, no matter what trials come. To start that series off, we went to a text in Acts 16, which is where we're going to be today. You can turn there with the Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. In this story, we see the origin story of the Philippian church. It provides the needed context to go into the Philippian letter. We see that Paul himself is forced to sacrifice and to press on in the faith through adversity while he was in the city of Philippi. Uh, the text for this morning is actually, uh, like I said, the first teaching. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 6. Uh, and what we're going to find out in this text is this. We're going to see how much Paul suffers for the sake of the gospel to reach the Philippian pe people. That's what we're going to be focusing on, sacrifice this morning. Sacrificing for the sake of the gospel to reach the lost before we dive into the text, please pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for the honor to bring your word to your people. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that your words uh, would be flowing through me to your people. As it says in Hebrews, Christ is the one who preaches through his man. So God, Christ, I pray that you preach through me now your word and deliver it to your people, to the hearts of your people in a way that will transform them, convict them, and move them to respond in obedience. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. With my students, whenever I like to preach, I always like to start off with a main idea, a main point, if you will, something that I want you to take home with you once you leave here. The main idea of this text we're going to be reading this morning is this. Christians are called to sacrifice daily for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. This is the main idea Christians are called to sacrifice daily for the sake of the gospel. We're going to look in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40, to see how and what Paul sacrifices for the sake of the gospel to reach the Philippians. So read with me. We're going to start in the first section of this text, verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to keep going through it. Read with me. And then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is my first point, sub-point I want you guys to get this morning. Christians must prepare to change their plans for the mission of the gospel. Christians must prepare to change their plans for the mission of the gospel. Paul and his crew were on their second missionary journey. So far, they had only gone through Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today, and they had planted a few churches there. And so, as you would as a missionary, you want to go to areas where the gospel has not been yet. 
And as they're traveling through Asia Minor, they decide, let's go up south, into farther into Asia. The Holy Spirit says, no, keep moving forward. And as they keep moving forward, they want to go up into Bithynia in the north. The Holy Spirit says, no, keep moving forward. And so they do. They come to a city called Troas, which is a coastal city on the, um, the west coast of Asia Minor. Across the sea is actually the, uh, the place of Macedonia, which is actually modern-day Greece today. And so while they're in Troas, Paul is sleeping. And Paul receives a vision from a man in Macedonia saying, come to us, help us, we need you. This was a vision from God, and Paul recognized that. He said, Paul had seen the vision. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul and his crew had plans. They had strategies. They were going to go south. Holy Spirit said no. They were going to go north. Holy Spirit said no. Were those plans wrong? No. They were good plans. They were going to go preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit had a different plan. And in submission, they submitted their plans to God's plan. And that's what they did. Last year around March, the world's plans got changed. Most of us were not ready for it, and I know I was not. Most of us did not adapt to the new way of doing things. I had so many plans last year. Plans for things I wanted to do in my marriage. Plans for things I wanted to do with youth group over the summer. We all had plans, and they were going to be great. They were good things, but God had another plan. Last year, I realized that I must be prepared at all times to change my plans, to adapt my plans whenever God chooses, because the mission of the gospel never stops. It always keeps going, no matter what we're going through. You might have your own plans for your life this year in 2021. You must be prepared as a Christian to change those plans for the mission of the gospel. Some of your plans might even be good things. But God always has a plan of his own. You need to prepare yourself to change your plans. God's plans for Christians, if you didn't know, in 2021 is to use you to grow his church. That's his primary plan. And that's for all of us in here that are Christians. You might have all these plans, but God has one mission, and that's to grow his kingdom. And we as the church are the vessel that he uses to grow his church. So ask yourselves this, are your plans aligned with God's mission or are your plans for yourself? This even applies to the little things in life, the things that we think are insignificant. For example, what are you planning to do tomorrow after work? What are you planning to do today after the service? What are you planning to do this week? Have you considered that God wants you to use your time for his mission more than your pleasure? Analyze the plans you make, both big and small. Do they reflect the mission of Jesus? And not only must we be prepared to change our plans for Christ's mission, but Christians must also prepare to lay aside their traditions for the purposes of the gospel. Let's keep reading in our text this morning, starting at verse 11. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Christians must prepare to lay aside their traditions, their customs, their routines for the purposes of the gospel. So the story continues. Paul, you receive the vision in Troas. It says immediately, that's where we're going. Him and his whole crew, they travel overseas and they head through Macedonia, modern day Greece, a place where the gospel has never been up to this point in history. The gospel has never been there. And they traveled to the city of Philippi, which was an important city in the area. It was a Roman colony. Most of the Roman military, when they retired, would move there. It was kind of like a retirement area. I, can, I like to call it often like the New York City of New York State, right? It's a, it's a big deal. People knew about Philippi. It was an important city. And they stayed there a few days. And on the Sabbath, they went outside the gate to the river where women were gathering to pray. Oftentimes, actually all the time, Paul's first stop whenever he came to a new city was the Jewish synagogue. That was, his tra- that was his tradition. That was his custom. That was his routine. He always went to the Jews first, and he preached the gospel to them. And then, whether they re- whoever received the gospel, he would take them with him, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. But here in Philippi, he doesn't do that. Most scholars believe that's because there was no Jewish synagogue. And Paul had never been there. He didn't know that. He just shows up on the Sabbath day. He's going to look for the Jewish synagogue. Where is it? What do I do? Well, I keep sharing the gospel. The mission of the gospel never stops. So he adapts and changes his tradition, his routine for the purposes of the gospel. So he goes to the riverside. Obviously, he heard some chatter of some women who were praying by the river. And he goes by the river, and he shares the gospel with them. And in a miraculous moment, Lydia's heart is open to the gospel, and she responds in faith. We, we get a little bit of a, a background of Lydia. It says that she was a woman from Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, and a worshiper of God. So we learn two things primarily from this. One, she was a worshiper of God, which is the Jewish God, meaning she was a Yahweh worshiper. Although she was not a Jew, she was a Gentile who worshiped the one true God. And then two, she was a seller of purple goods. Back in the day, purple goods were a very valuable item, which means that she was probably a very wealthy saleswoman. So this woman, a wealthy saleswoman, a worshiper of God, hears the gospel from Paul as he is adapting and changing his normal routine, and she responds in faith. And radically, and in a moment, she starts acting exactly like a Christian should. Come stay with me. I have a big house. I will keep your, I will house you this entire time you're here. You don't have to worry about anything. And she opens her house, not only to Paul and his crew, but as we'll see later, to the entire Philippian church. In Mark chapter 7, 9 through 13, there's this brief story where Jesus' disciples are eating uh, a lunch or a dinner, and they don't clean their hands as the custom is supposed to, as the culture mandates. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for enforcing traditions while not obeying God's commands. Jesus actually told them this. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. For the Pharisees, their traditions were sinful because of their neglect of the law. For Paul, he was forced to go against his normal tradition to spread the gospel. And his normal tradition was a good thing. Oftentimes, we have our own traditions. We have our own customs. We have our own routines or way of doing things. They may not be bad in themselves, 
But if they conflict with the mission of Jesus, then they must immediately be laid aside. Are your normal routines preventing you from reaching others with the gospel? Where you go to lunch, who you hang out with, who you're around most often, are your routines preventing you from reaching others with the gospel? In all areas of our lives, we must be asking ourselves, does my daily routine, does my daily tradition get in the way of the mission of Jesus? And if it does, we must adapt. Christians not only must lay aside their traditions for Christ's purposes, but Christians must also prepare to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. Let's continue on in our story. Verse 16 all the way through 24. Read along with me. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, Christians must prepare to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. Let's do a little recap. We see the slave girl with a spirit of divination, which means she was, had a demon in her that was allowing her to do a little bit of fortune telling. And she was following Paul around as he was going and sharing the gospel with people, kept crying out, these are servants of the most high God, and they're preaching you the way of salvation. Now, is that true? Yep. That's exactly what they were doing. But Paul still gets annoyed. Why does he get annoyed? He gets annoyed because of this. We, I don't want to be associated with that girl and everything that's about her. I don't want her message to conflict with our message. So, and obviously in anger towards the demon and frustration towards the demon, he turns and looks at it and rebukes it. And in that very hour, it comes out. And you'd think that would be the end of this little story, but it's not. Because that girl was making a lot of money for her owners. A lot of money. And the owners did not like the fact that they lost their source of income. So what do they do? They grab Paul and Silas and they bring them to the marketplace. Imagine an open court with lots of market, like little stands and things like that and tons of people there all at once. And they bring them before the magistrates. The magistrates, there were two in each Roman colony and they were the governors. They were the rulers of the place. And they brought them before and they slandered them. Everything they said against Paul and Silas was wrong. And without any hearing, without any defense, the crowd starts attacking them brutally, beating them. And then the magistrates go so far and says, take all their clothes off. And they strip them. And then they say, and then they order their own guards, beat them with wooden rods. And it says, once they had inflicted many blows, 
implying they were beat. They were really beat. It was not a pretty sight. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, then they threw them into prison. And not only just any place in prison, it says the innermost part, implying there's no way of escape. You were so far in this prison, the darkest part. There's no hope for you. In 1957, there was a man named Jim Elliott. He was a missionary, and he went to Ecuador with four other missionaries to spread the gospel to a native tribe. One day, after there was some miscommunication with some of the uh, tribal people, the tribe thought that the missionaries were a threat. And they, one day, out of nowhere, went into the missionaries' camp and killed Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries brutally. The missionaries had no idea why they were being attacked. In fact, they were saying, what's going on to the people as they were murdering them? They did nothing wrong. They were there to love on them, to share the gospel with them, and yet they all died. Not too much later, some of those wives of the ones who died went back to that same tribe and established a new camp to share the gospel with them. The missionaries established a community and actually saw some of those same tribal people come to Christ. The wives loved the people, even though they killed their husbands. Jim Elliott and the others suffered and died for the advancement of the gospel. Right now in the U.S., you and I, we do not have to face suffer. We do not have to face death as a suffering, but we do suffer in many other ways. For many of us, even some of your postmodern Christian friends are starting to think and believe the things that the world teaches. Abortion's all right. Homosexuality, that's cool. We all have our own truth. My truth is not your truth. For many of you, if you speak about Jesus to those people around you, you'll be ridiculed. And it's going to be hard, but it's worth it. For the last 2,000 years, Christians have suffered and died for Jesus. And whenever persecution increased, more and more people came to saving faith in Christ. The gospel was carried through the generations on the backs of the men and women who died sharing the gospel. We in America have it pretty great compared to them, but we still suffer, and we're still called to suffer as we share Christ and to prepare to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. So not only should Christians prepare to suffer for the advancement of the gospel, but Christians must prepare to rejoice during that trial for the testimony of the gospel. Keep reading with me. Verse 25, 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed up. He washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Paul and Silas spent their time suffering in prison, singing and praying until late at night. They were rejoicing and praising God. And it says the other prisoners were listening to them. And obviously, we can see the jailer probably was too. Suddenly, around midnight, an earthquake shakes the prison. Everything opens up. Every lock, every door opens up. Seeing all the doors and all the shackles gone, the jailer thinks, well, I'm done for. (laughs) I'm not going to make it out of here. Once they find out I let all these people go, they're going to kill me. So as he's about to take his own life, Paul intervenes and stops him. And Paul shares the good news with him and his entire family. And this Roman family radically gets saved and transformed. And what do they do? Come into my home. Kind of sounds familiar to Lydia, right? Radical transformation. Come, we'll take care of you. Come to my home. We'll tend the wounds. Because remember, they're, they're still beaten up bloody. They tend to the wounds and they fed Paul and Silas. Earlier in Acts, in chapter 5, verse 40 through 42, it says this. This is after Paul and, uh, not Paul, Peter and the, and the other apostles were brought before a, 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 a council and they were commanded not to share the gospel. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. And then they're all beat for that and they're let go. <clears throat> they say, don't, don't share the gospel and they kick them out. And then this is what happens. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The apostles suffered. Did they complain? Did they whine? No. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They did this because God had changed their hearts and given them new desires. Their love for Jesus was so high, so elevated, that it made it worth it. It was all, to them, a good thing. We were counted worthy. You might be thinking, okay, though, but I'm not an apostle, right? That was them. We're here now. Well, guess what? The same Holy Spirit that lived in them dwells in you as a Christian. And he is able and willing to give you the strength to rejoice during suffering. So what does that look like? Back to our earlier, what I said. You might be ridiculed for sharing the gospel to some of the people around you. Instead of complaining, which is what we all do in the Christian church in America, thank God that you were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. It is an honor. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. We need to see that today in the church. Today, oh, they're saying this about me. They're saying this about Christianity. Rejoice. We are counted worthy to be sufferers for Christ. And what will happen is that when you rejoice in suffering, it becomes a testimony of what Jesus has done inside of you. And others will see that. And it will have an impact. Not only should Christians prepare to rejoice during hardship, but finally, Christians must prepare to stand firm for the reputation of the gospel. Let's finish out this chapter, starting in verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police 
saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. about that. All right. So Christians must prepare to stand firm for the reputation of the gospel. So the, con- the story continues. The, the jailer and his entire household get radically saved. They do something similar to Lydia. Come into my home. We're going to take care of you. So it's the next morning. The magistrates, those governors who ordered to have them stripped and beaten with rods say, let them out. But just will not go public with it. Just let them out. It'll be okay. But so the jailer tells this to Paul, and the jailer's excited. You get to go be free. Go on. Paul refused to leave in secret. Paul and Silas were treated as criminals unlawfully, although they were Roman citizens. In the Roman Empire, if you were a Roman citizen, you were legally given the right to a hearing. You had a right to defend yourself before, before whatever crimes were presented against you. But as we saw in the story, they just started getting attacked brutally. And they didn't do anything wrong, nothing. So Paul says they must come themselves to let us all. Now, <clears throat> it's very easy to read the story and say, man, Paul's pride was just like, hey, they need to vindicate me for me. That's not what Paul was doing here. This is what he was doing. If Paul and Silas left in secret, they would still be looked at, like they would still be looked upon as criminals. And if they were still looked upon as criminals, their gospel would look like a troublesome message. And this would have had a damaging effect for the new Philippian church that was trying to grow. Paul stood his ground against the magistrates. He told them to rectify the situation and release them personally because he wanted the gospel and them to be vindicated, to be justified, so that it wouldn't look like a troublesome message. The magistrates grew fearful when they heard Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So obviously they complied. They came themselves. Sorry, sorry, you're not actually bad. My bad. They released them personally and asked them to leave Philippi. And Paul and Silas agreed to that. So Paul and Silas and the gospel were now vindicated because Paul stood firm. Because he would not let them, let it kick him out in secret so they would still be looked upon as criminals. Before leaving the city, they went back to the home of Lydia and the young Philippian church, which now met in her home. They encouraged them and then they departed from the city. I was watching this documentary a while back called Luther, about Martin Luther, uh, the one who sparked the Protestant Reformation. He was not looked upon greatly by the Catholic Church. There was this one moment where Martin Luther was brought before a council, and in the room was the emperor of the Roman Empire, and there was the pope, the two highest men in the world at that point. They could do whatever they wanted. And they told Martin Luther, recant your gospel, recant your heresy now. And Martin Luther said, First, he said, give me some time to think about this. (laughs) And so he left, and he spent one night praying, asking the Lord for the strength and the grace to stand firm. 
Because these men had the ability to just say, take them out back, get rid of them. The next day, Martin Luther comes back and they say, recant your false gospel. And he says, I can't. My heart is captive to the word of God. And if you cannot convince me from the word of God or with reason, then I cannot. And then he just walks out, telling two of the most powerful men in the world, no, I will not reject this gospel. Obviously, you and I have never been prisoned unlawfully like Paul or stood before an emperor or a pope for our faith. But you will have to stand firm for the gospel's reputation, reputation on certain things in your life. If someone is saying something wrong and you overhear it about Christianity publicly and they're deceiving others, we have a right as Christians to intervene, to step in, and to stand firm on the true gospel. Or maybe you're being pressured to do by family members or whatever it is to do something that's not biblical. You need to stand firm so that the reputation of the gospel you believe in is not looked upon poorly. Christians are called to sacrifice in so many areas of our lives. The question is, are you prepared? I have a few questions for you to consider as we close this out. One, are you prepared to change your plans this year for the gospel mission? Big or small, good or bad, are you prepared to change them in the moment and to follow God's plan? And remember, God's plan for you this year is for you to grow his church. That's it, he gives it in scripture, it's not a mystery. Are you living in that way? Number two, are you prepared to lay aside your traditions, your routines, your customers, your way of doing things this year for gospel purposes? Good or bad, big or small, are you ready to lay them aside? Are you prepared to suffer this year, whatever that looks like, for the advancement of the gospel? Four, are you prepared to rejoice during that suffering this year, for the testimony of the gospel to all those around you? Are you ready to be counted worthy? Are you ready to say, I am counted worthy to suffer for Christ? And finally, are you prepared to stand firm this year for the reputation of the gospel in this city, in this state, in this nation, in this world? And then to reverse our main point from the beginning into a question, are you prepared to sacrifice daily in these areas for the sake of the gospel. You might be thinking, how in the world am I supposed to obey all of that? That is a lot you're asking of me, Brother Joseph. It is almost impossible. I cannot do that in my own strength. I cannot do that in my own power. You're right. You can't. If you are a Christian, you have been saved and forgiven by God. You have been granted a new heart with new passions, and you have been given the same Holy Spirit that Paul himself possessed with God and by the Holy Spirit's power, you can and are able to sacrifice daily in all of these areas in your life. I know this is a difficult call, but this is the call of the gospel. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This year, we will face hardships, and we must prepare to press on and sacrifice daily for the sake of the gospel. I'd like to read this verse, Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, are you prepared to sacrifice daily for the sake of the gospel? Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for this time 
that we got to be together studying your word and hearing from your word. God, I pray and I, I claim the promise in your Bible that says your word does not return void. I pray that the truths that we uh, discussed this morning would embed themselves in the hearts of every Christian in this room. And that if there are those in this room who have not repented and trusted in the true gospel, I pray that they would recognize their inability to follow you in this way and that they would cling to the cross and repent and trust in you. And for the Christians in this room who are not living their lives, sacrificing daily for the sake of the gospel, I pray that you would radically right now, as you did with Lydia and with the jailer, that you would radically transform their hearts and convict them and give them a burning desire to sacrifice for you every single day. And I pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus.